Well, this is the next chunk in 1 Corinthians on our journey through. Um, And even just reading it, you'll see that we're going to touch on some pretty personal and challenging and hard things this afternoon. But we don't want to duck that, right? We don't want to hide away from that. We actually want to let God's word really teach us. We want to understand what God has to say to us. And the interesting thing as you go through 1 Corinthians is that Paul keeps saying this little phrase, do you not know? Don't you know? And here's, I think what we do is we tend to locate our problem in most of life in the realm of behavior. If only I could sort out my behavior, if I could stop being so selfish or so greedy or in the area of sexual immorality, if I could stop watching this or doing this or going to this, if I could stop doing my behavior, everything would be okay. Paul says, no, your real problem isn't in your behavior, it's in your understanding, it's, it's the way you're thinking. So what Paul does in 1 Corinthians is he attacks the thinking. He is going to fill our heads with doctrine, which is what we need if we're going to flee from sexual immorality. Doctrine is the key, that is truth, is the key to fighting sin. That's what we're going to see this afternoon. And in particular, Paul is going to help us to understand about our bodies. There's a lot of stuff, as, as I read it, about the body, the body, the body. Just come with me for a second to um, Psalm 63. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians. Um, just come to Psalm 63. I, I want to show, you, um, to show you something. This is, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but this is probably my favorite psalm. But it's very striking how it starts. Look at how this psalm starts. It says, You, God, and my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. He's saying it's not just that his soul is thirsty. His whole being, his body, it literally is his, my body is longing for you. Now, I think we're very content with the idea that our soul is kind of in some way to do with God and God wants my soul and my spirit and all that sort of stuff. But we're not very clear on the body. What does it mean for our bodies to long for God? Is that how you would phrase it? Is that how you would think? That your whole being, body and soul, longs for God? I think we can be very split up in our thinking. Here's the spirit, that's the bit that God's interested in, and then there's this body stuff. And actually the reality is our body has all sorts of other longings. Our body has powerful desires. Our body longs for things. Our body longs for companionship and fun and food and sex, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And that's the particular desire we're going to think about. We're going to think about this desire, this sexual desire that all of us experience. And in particular, we're going to think about sexual immorality. That is wrong sexual desire. I want you to know there is right sexual desire. There is good sexual desire and there is wrong sexual desire. Sexual immorality is any sexual pleasure that 
happens outside of marriage between one man and one woman. That is the pursuit of sexual pleasure outside of marriage is what Paul is talking about in sexual immorality. That covers a lot of stuff, right? That covers anything from fantasies to pornography to uh, an affair, a one-night stand, uh, sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It covers all sorts of stuff. Any sexual pleasure, the pursuit of sexual pleasure outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Of course, that means that good sexual desire is the desire for sex within marriage. That is a good sexual desire. Therefore, if you are married, it is good to have a sexual desire for your wife or for your husband. That is a good desire. If you are not married, it is right to desire sexual satisfaction within marriage. That is a good, right pursuit. That is a good thing. But we're talking about immorality. And just look what they're saying in the church. Have a look at verse 12 with me. Have a look at verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say. <laughs> that's, that's the slogan in, in Corinth. Does that sound familiar? Is that the sort of thing that people would say in our world? Here's, here's how it goes, right? It's my body, right? It's my body, therefore it's m- I have the right to do whatever I want with my body. You can't tell me what to do with my body. It's my body. And in fact, perhaps they've even twisted the message of Jesus to kind of give them an excuse. So it goes like this, right? God loves me. Yes? Okay, let's, let's play a game, right? Join in with me. Does God love you? Yes, right? God loves me. Of course he loves me. He loves me. And if he loves me, then he, wouldn't, he wants me to be happy. And if he wants me to be happy, then he wouldn't stop me having this one thing that will make me most happy. Of course he will make And anyway, Jesus died on the cross. He forgives all my sin. How could he possibly deny me this one thing? Because he loves me. I have the right to do anything. And so our world says, as long as you're not harming harming anyone, as long as you're not hurting anyone, you have the right to do anything. Paul says, you're asking the wrong question. Look what he says. I have the right to do anything, you say. Look, not everything is beneficial. The question is not... Am I hurting anyone? The question is, is this doing good? Is this a desire that is good and beneficial and helpful for others? But still they come back, I have the right to do anything. But Paul says your proclaimed freedom is actually slavery. You are being mastered by your sexual desire. Okay, Um. If we were fish, and we're not, but if we were, it would not take much to captivate our attention. All you would need is a little worm on a hook. In fact, not even a real worm. You'd only need a little shiny feather thing. It's very disappointing. We don't, they don't even use real worms. It's so harsh on fish, right? They just get a little feather, shiny thing. They dangle it in the water. You bob it up and down. And the fish are swimming by. They go, whoa, look at that. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's consumed by a desire for the thing that's not even a thing. And it swims towards it. And it's drawn in. And it bites. And it's hooked. 
And we proclaim our freedom, right? We run around going, we're free, we're free. And Paul says, no, you're not, you're mastered. You're absolutely mastered. You are captivated. This desire that you have is absolutely enslaving you. And many of us will be aware of this. Many of us have found ourselves in situations where we are doing things or saying things or watching things that you think, why did I do that? It's because there is a slavery bound into our desire. Our desires are good desires, but those desires can easily become enslaving desires. This is why Paul thinks it matters so much. They're wrong. He says, you're wrong about your desires. You're not free. You are being mastered by your sexual desire. Or verse 13, look how he goes on. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. Do you see, this is what they're saying. It doesn't really matter. Your body doesn't really matter. God's only interested in your spirit. Let's be perfectly honest. Your body one day is going to be dead. It's okay. It's your spirit that really matters. That's all that matters. As long as you love God in your spirit, you know, fine, eat some food, eat some Body for food, food for body, sex for food, whatever. What? No, not sex for food, that's odd. Sex for body, body for sex. It doesn't matter. It's just another desire. Just stop being so uptight about it. It's all going to be destroyed anyway. We're all going to go off and float on a cloud without bodies. So why are we so obsessed about bodies now? Well, this is where Paul gets into his doctrine. And he says, right, let me correct your thinking. And I want to try this afternoon and allow Paul to blow our minds with what it means to be bodies. Now, I get that some of us, probably most of us, are pretty disappointed with our bodies. Most of us are frustrated. If you're one of the ones who isn't, then happy day. One day you will be. Because the reality is that our bodies are disappointing and frustrating. And we can sort of have this kind of, oh, I feel rubbish and I'm ugly and I'm this and I'm that and I'm whatever. And I long to be free of this body. Paul says, that's a rock. That's, that, I've got something good to show you. So we're going to have to go quick, right? Because I've got five things, five doctrines packed into these verses. Paul just smashes through it and says, let me show you what a great thing your body is. And as we do this, I want to show you why sexual immorality, therefore, is something to be fleed from. Let's, let's work our way through and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Okay, here's, here's the one big thing and then we've got five small things. Here's the big thing, right? This is what I want you to go home saying, remembering. Paul has a devastating main argument. It's down at the end. Have a look uh, at the, just at the end in verse, well, the end of verse uh, 19. Can you see at the end of verse 19? Look what he says. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Okay, listen, I'm going to whisper this because this is like seriously countercultural. And you're not going to believe it when I tell you what Paul is saying. Your body, it's not your body. It's not yours. This is what I want you to go home remembering. My body is not my body. It's his body. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Your body is not your body. It's his body. 
And that's what we're going to work out. And that is true because of five doctrines. Let me show you these as we go through. Firstly, it was made for him. Your body was made for him. Have a look at um, the end of verse 13. The body, um, however, so they've just been saying it's all going to be destroyed. Paul says, no, it's not. Your, your doctrine is completely wrong. Have a look at the end of verse four, uh, 13. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you not know this? You were made for the Lord. It's the doctrine of creation. He made you for himself. Your body is for him. You are not just a highly evolved animal who happens to have all sorts of physical desires. No, you were made for him. We had a very um, interesting day. Uh, A few years ago, we took our kids to the zoo. And um, we went to the zoo and uh, we went to watch the, um, the gibbons. And, uh, no, the baboons. No, the baboons. And the baboons, they're great fun, the baboons. Because they're just like jumping around, swinging on ropes. Like, it's a great fun. They have this big rock. They're all playing. It was great fun. Until one of my kids said to me, Daddy, what are those two doing? <laughs> like, on the highest rock at the top. Daddy, what are they doing? <clears throat> they're just, um, they're just uh, talking. <laughs> let's go. Let's go look at the... Let's go somewhere else. Let's go with the rhinos. We'll be safe with the rhinos. And I, I promise this is true, right? We went around the corner to the rhinos. <laughs> Jenny, I'm not lying, right? The zookeeper was utterly excited. She was calling, quick, come over. We've been waiting for this moment. Look. And you go, what, what's happening? Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> right? You see, animals just have this instinct, this desire, and they just... Do it. And our problem is that we can think that we're just highly evolved. And if that's what we're being told, if all you are is a highly evolved animal, then of course that's just the way you behave. You just use sex. You have sex whenever you feel like it. Whatever, whenever it takes your fancy, whatever you think, however you feel, it doesn't really matter. But the doctrine of creation says you are not a highly evolved animal who follows basic animal instincts. You are an image bearer of God. You were created in his image, body and soul, created in the image of God to reflect God's glory. Your purpose is for God. To show the world what God is like. The highest goal of your body is not survival. It's not to pass your DNA on. It's not pleasure. Fitness is not, not the highest goal of your body to have a fantastically fit body. Beauty is not the greatest thing. Your body's greatest purpose is for him. To be dedicated to him. To show him to the world. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. That's not what it's for. If you think life is about getting the best sexual experience you can have, if that is the sum total of what life is about, 
you have aimed way too low. And this is our problem. Sometimes people say, oh, you Christians, you're so boring. You and your sexual ethical stuff. Actually, what we're saying is, no, you are settling for something way too low. You are being like a baboon, not an image bearer of God. And I would rather live my life as an image bearer of God than as a baboon. And can I say to you, I think this is really helpful for us. Look, and I, I, I want to try and speak openly and honest, honestly about stuff. Let's talk about pornography for a second. When we think about pornography, when we... For some of us in this room, this is going to be a real battle, right? A real struggle for us. What you are watching is someone who is created in the image of God. An image bearer of God. Who has been so abused and mistreated by evil, wicked men who are forcing her to have sex with someone so that you can sit and watch it. She's an image bearer of God. And actually what should happen is our hearts should break that God's precious image bearer should so utterly be trashed. You should switch it off, get on your knees and pray for her. Can you imagine what what a difference that would make? That we'd get on our knees and we would pray for the women and men who are being abused and mistreated in order to sell sex to millions. It should make us angry. The body was made for the Lord. And it's interesting because it says, and the Lord was made, and the Lord for the body. So a weird phrase. I get that the body's made for the Lord, but why the Lord for the body? That's an interesting phrase. Well, it's because he's the one who can only satisfy. He's the only one who can satisfy you fully. You were made for him, and he, was ma- and he is, exists for you. Not made for you, because he wasn't made. He exists for you. If I buy a £250,000 Ferrari, in my dreams, if I buy a Ferrari, and I, as a glorious expression of freedom, fill its petrol tank with pink lemonade, and then park it on my drive, which I don't have, and fill it up with junk and rubbish and banana skins, and I'd say, look how free I am. You would say, you're not free, you're an idiot. And if you loved cars, you wouldn't just go, oh, stupid. You would be angry at what I'd done to such a beautiful car. And when we take sex and we say, this is, let's just abuse this and use it for myself. Do you not see that that is a shocking way to behave? You were made for the Lord and he is for you. The car won't run on pink lemonade. You won't run on sex. You will only run and function properly in a right relationship with the Lord, with God. Let's go on to the second one. That was the longest. Maybe. Uh, The body was made for him. That's why we honor God with our bodies, because it was made for him. Here's the second thing. It will be raised with him. Look at the second thing. Look at the next thing in verse 15, uh, 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead 
and he will raise us also. This is the doctrine of resurrection. We've seen the doctrine of creation. That tells you your body matters. But the doctrine of resurrection tells you that your body matters. You see, when Jesus came, he became a man. He took on a real body, a physical body. And do you think Jesus experienced sexual desire and temptation? Do you think Jesus experienced the kind of the pull of pornea? Yes, he was tempted in every single way. But he never cracked. He never gave in. He never broke. And then he died on a cross. His body was broken. And then what happened? When he rose from the dead, what, what was raised? Just his soul? Great. Leave the body now, done with that. No, his body was raised. How do we, how do we know that? Well, because there was no body there, right? They went to the tomb and there was no body there. It's gone. The body's gone. Why? Because the body had been raised because God is so passionately committed to a human body that he raised his eternal son to life again in his body. And Jesus today has a human body in heaven. There is a human man in heaven now. That's how committed God is to the body. Now you say, well, who cares? Well, that means that your body matters so much that one day your body will not just rot in the ground, but will be raised to new life with Christ. Our future is not a disembodied spirit world. Our future is an embodied world. A world where we will have bodies. Oh, now they'll be transformed. They'll be made new but they will be bodies. And therefore, if we think that our bodies don't matter now, then we're saying the resurrection doesn't really matter because God is so committed to the body that he raised his son from the dead. And so Paul says, how can you say your body doesn't matter? You say food for the body and the body of the soul, God's going to destroy them both? No, God's not going to destroy them. You're wrong, Corinthians. You're seriously wrong. Your body is not your body, it's his body because it's going to be raised with him. Here's the third one. It's joined to him. It's joined to him. This is the doctrine of union. So we've seen the doctrine of creation. You were made for him. We've seen the doctrine of resurrection. You'll be raised with him. Here's the doctrine of union. You are joined to him. So have a look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? What a statement. What a statement. Your bodies are members of Christ himself. I think we, when we think about being united with Christ, we think of it in a kind of spiritual way. Yes, we're united in spirit. No, Paul says, no, you're not united in body. That means as you look at your hands and your body, it is part of Christ. It's united to him. These are Christ's hands, as it were, because we're united with him. Such is the closeness of the relationship. And you say, I can't understand that. That is completely bonkers madness. Okay, well, it's great because I've got a great illustration. And this is probably the best illustration I've 
ever used in church because it's not mine. And it's not anyone else's other than God himself. What is God's great picture of what it means to be united to Christ? It's there down in um, uh, the end of verse 16. It is said the two will become one flesh. What's that talking about? That is talking about marriage and sex. That is talking about one man and one woman becoming united. So when I got married, it wasn't just that, oh, that's nice, they're united in spirit. No, actually, Linda and I, Linda's my wife, just, just to make that crystal clear, we are one body. Now, I think it's fairly obvious that there's two of us because she's over there and I'm here, all right? And yet the Bible talks in terms of actually our bodies are one. They have been united together. And therefore, you don't think of yourself separately from one another. You don't act separately from one another. There's a unity. It doesn't mean you do everything together. It doesn't mean you're always in the same place. But it does mean that there's a oneness to the body. And Paul says that's, that's what's true of human sex because that is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the Christian. I am united with Christ. I'm one with Christ. Married, if you like, to Christ. Which means, did you see why this is important? Okay, This is why your body is not your body, it's his body, because you're united to him. You're joined to him. Which, of course, means then to take the body that is united to Christ and to then go and use that and to sleep with a prostitute. I mean, it's not, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see why that is wrong. Because what are you doing? You are uniting Christ to a prostitute. That is how serious this is. We're united with Christ. We've got to get our doctrine right. Our bodies are not irrelevant nothings. Our bodies are part of Christ. They're united with Christ. I think that's why in verse 18 he says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Because when you sin sexually, there is something different. Because sex has this joining power. Every time one person sleeps with another person, one night stand, whatever it might be, there is something supernatural going on. That is why when you rip that apart, there's such a mess. And that is why people who go through life saying, well, I'll just sleep around, doesn't really matter, it's not hurting anyone. Yes, it is. It's devastating people. And here it is. You're united. And, and that, that means that sexual sin, in a very specific way, in a way that I don't think stealing and lying and other stuff quite is the same... Sexual sin has a deeper impact because of this union that it creates. We joined him. Uh, how many have we done? Three. Okay, we've got two more. Here we go. This is, let's, let's go slightly quicker. Um, fourthly, it's home for him. Your body is not your body, it's his body because it's his home. So have a look at um, what it says, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. 
Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you're excited about being a temple. Your little temple this afternoon. Look at us, a little group of temples. Here we are all sitting in little temples. It's nice. Although actually the temple is a pretty terrifying thing. When the temple was first built, when Solomon finished his temple, the fire of God filled the temple. It was awesomely terrifying. People couldn't even go in to the most holy place because the, te- the presence of God was so awesome. And that's now you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. The God who created the universe lives in you. The God of burning purity lives in you. And could you ever imagine, could you ever imagine a moment where a bloke would walk into the most holy place, lie down on the Ark of the Covenant with a prostitute and make love to her there? But if we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, do you not see? Do you not see the seriousness of what we're talking? There's one more. And that is that your body was bought by him. And this is the doctrine of redemption. It was bought by him. Look at this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were bought. My mum has this really weird habit. She goes to the dump to dump rubbish, which is not weird. That's a normal thing. But when she goes to the dump, she cannot resist the pile of rubbish that they are selling. Because they always find some knickknacks and things, and they, they decide to sell them. So when she goes to the dump, she always comes back with something she's bought. And it drives my dad mad. And it's like, Mum, you are buying rubbish. You are literally buying something that someone else thought was so worthless they would throw it away. And you are buying it. And I want to say to you that that is exactly what Jesus has done. He has bought us. Despite all of our failure, despite all of our sexual sin, despite all of the dirtiness and the uncleanness, despite the fact that actually we are worthless, Jesus bought us. I, I, I sort of hope this gets you excited. In order to buy you, this is what Jesus had to do. The eternal Son of God had to take to himself a human body, a real body. Jesus became a real man. And Jesus, in his body, lived the perfect life. And then at the cross, his body was broken. His body was battered and smashed apart to pay the price to buy us back. Jesus at the cross paid the ultimate penalty of death, which is what the body deserves. And he took it in himself in order that he might buy us and say, I've bought you. You're mine. And therefore, your body is not your body. It's his body because he paid for it. He bought it. And this afternoon, as you look at your body, I want you to know... 
however much you might hate your body, however much you might think this is worthless and useless, Jesus paid his life to buy your body. Jesus paid his life to buy you for himself so that you might have a glorious body for all eternity. So those are the five doctrines. Five doctrines which should revolutionize our understanding about our bodies. And there are two commands in this passage. They're there in verse 18 and verse 20. Verse 18, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Verse 20, honor God with your body. Flee. I I hope that by this point, it's fairly obvious that to flee from sexual immorality is the right thing to do. Paul doesn't say, you know, have a go at trying to avoid it. Have a go, do your best, see how you get on. He says, flee. And I, I want to challenge us this afternoon, all of us, myself included, to take this very seriously, to flee sexual immorality. I, I want to know what that would look like for you. I don't think anyone wakes up one day and says, I think I'm going to have a fair with someone at work. I, th- I don't think that ever happens. Very rarely. This is how it works. There's a smile... Someone in your work smiles at you and you smile back and there's a little flutter in you that goes, oh, that was nice. That's the moment you flee. There, right there. That's it. That's the moment. As soon as you begin to feel the very first kind of, oh, that was quite nice. That's the moment you go, ah, and you run. It'd be terrific. (laughs) If there was a lion burst in a roaring big thing, burst in through this door here, we would run. We get it. We wouldn't wander down to the front going, oh, this is nice, this is a nice line, hello. Hi, oh, I'm dead. We, we understand to flee means to get away, just to get away. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes people might think you're a little bit weird, perhaps even a little bit standoffish. That's a bit weird. Why wouldn't he give me a lift home? You see? And we can think, oh, I don't want to seem weird. I don't want to come across as weird. But you see, a smile quickly turns into a text, which quickly turns into a coffee, which quickly turns into a lunch, which quickly turns into a dinner, which quickly turns into a night in her bed. And we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that could happen. I don't think there's anyone in this room who that is not a possibility for. We have to wake up and say, this is serious. Sexual, the sexual desire, porneia, this sexual morality is such a powerful, powerful thing. We've got to take it seriously. We are kidding ourselves if we can come and stroke the lion and say, what a cute little lion. And I would plead with you. I would plead with you for the love of God, for the love of your wife, for the love of your future wife, for the love of your future husband, for the love of your husband, for the love of your children, for the love of church, for the love of Jesus, would you flee sexual immorality? Would you get rid of it? If you're struggling with pornography, then find a way to flee. 
Find a way to work out what it is. Perhaps that means you need to not have internet in your flat. I can't cope without the internet. Fine, stroke the line and get eaten. Do you not see? We make so many... I couldn't cope without a smartphone. Seriously? If it's a problem, we need to flee. We need to cut it off. We need to do something. And as we flee, we don't flee going, oh, this is miserable. We flee going because I want to honor you with my body, the one who created me, the one who I'm in the image of, the one who will raise me, the one who I'm joined to, the one who bought me. I want to honor you. And I want to say to you, you will not be disappointed. In eternity, you will not look back and say, oh, I'm really gutted that I didn't have that one night stand. You won't even give it. You will be so thankful to God. Now, I know this is a big issue for some of us, for many of us, most of us, all of us. And I want to encourage us as we go, I I want you to go with hope, not with despair. Because whatever our past failure, Jesus is the one who washes us clean. Whatever our past experience, Jesus is the one who washes us clean. And what if today, what if today was a, flag in the sand what if today was a day when we said from this day forward by God's grace I'm going to try and change by God's power in God's strength because my body is not some nothing I'm going to change Holy Spirit please help me And maybe you need to talk to someone and say please would you help me would you pray with me maybe you need to smash something when you get home it may be that you need let's do something And we are going to fail again. You will fail. And on the day you fail, you look up and you see Jesus' smiling face and you say, my precious child. And you look at him and you say, I'm sorry, King Jesus, how could I have done this again? And he smiles and he says, this is why I died. I forgive you. Now let's go again. Up we go. Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Honor God with your body. Why don't we pray together and then we're going to uh, sing and celebrate communion together. Heavenly Father, we, we read these words and we recognize that we feel, that we feel the pull um, of sexual immorality. We thank you for the good gift of sex and we ask that you would help us to trust you. We ask that you would help us to honor you with our bodies. We're sorry for our failure, even in the past week perhaps. But Father, thank you that in Jesus there's such freedom and joy and forgiveness. Help us to find that joy in him, we pray. In his name we ask. Amen.